Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, as we gather this morning, may we hear your voice. As we seek you, may we find you. We desire to know you better. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts and our minds. That you would make a difference to our day and we'd be all the better for hearing you. Help us, Lord, to listen and do and to be changed by what you have to say to us this morning. Amen. I'm going to start uh, with an old advert, if that's okay. Oh, no, it's okay. Give me two seconds. Um, we're, this passage is talking a lot about appearances. Um, if David, if you, could you allow me to share screen? Now, I didn't share that advert because I wanted you all to rush out and buy The Guardian. I was sharing the advert because it played on prejudice. Can we all hear me okay? Hello? Ah, oh, grand. It's okay. Sorry, my computer had frozen for a moment. I was a wee bit concerned. Um, it's an advert that plays on people's prejudice. Now, that advert is nearly 40 years old. I didn't realise that till I looked it out. And it plays on the idea that you see the skinhead and so naturally your first instinct is, oh, they must be up to no good. And then the next scene, you see the skinhead running towards the man in the business suit. Now, the man's in a business suit, so he's obviously respectable and hardworking and does all that's right. And it looks like the skinhead's going to attack him. So, so far, our prejudices are all being confirmed. And then we get to see the bigger picture where what's happened is the skinheads noticed that the bricks are about to fall on top of the businessman who obviously has walked under it completely unaware of where he is. And he's actually trying to rescue him. This passage deals a lot with trying to look past appearances, trying to look behind what you see with your eyes and almost seeing with your spirit. It's couched in the Feast of the Tabernacles, which itself is very re relevant. But you'll remember that the whole Gospel of John is couched in the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus himself says right in the middle of this passage, stop judging people by appearances and stop judging Jesus by what you see or what you think you know. In fact, as we read it, you will notice quite often the conversations between the various people depend a lot on what, but doesn't this man come from Galilee? Don't we know him? Isn't, don't you know this? Don't, and it's all based on what they think they know. But you remember at the start of the Gospel of John, John starts with, in the beginning was the word. And the word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. At the Feast of Tabernacles, which is the last feast of the year, the Jewish people would gather and they would go. We all live in nice houses and so do many of them even today. And they go and sleep outside in a tent. Now, I have heard that some of them put tents up inside their houses. But the idea is when they create the booths, they should still be able to see the stars at night. And for them, the initial remembering is that it reminds them of their time in the wilderness. When they went from living in tents, though the Lord took them out of Egypt from where they'd been slaves. But for 40 years, they lived in temporary dwellings. But when they were in those temporary dwellings, the Lord himself was also within a tent in the midst of them in the tabernacle. The Lord came and dwelt amongst them 
in the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle itself from the outside didn't look like much. When you read a description of the tabernacle, it had fine robes, it had fine curtains, fine veils. But you didn't see any of that unless you went inside the tabernacle. It wasn't visible from the outside. From the outside, it looked quite plain. But at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, they went from their temporary dwellings to moving into the promised land where they then got to find what was meant to be a permanent home. The Feast of Tabernacles is the one festival that not only was it, it was not the only festival that was compulsory for all Jews to attend. But interestingly enough, in the books of Ezekiel and Zechariah, we read that even when the Lord has returned, the Feast of Tabernacles is still kept. It happens after the Feast of Trumpets and after the Yom Kippur. It is the last festival of the year. And I believe Jesus, in some ways in this passage, is acting out the Feast of Tabernacles. He is hidden from people's sight initially, and he then reveals himself halfway through. It explains a little bit of what goes on at the start. But for us also, it's a call for us to see past what is present and to see what is eternal. Paul draws on this when he speaks in 2 Corinthians 5, when he talks about us moving from our temporary bodies, our tents, to move into our eternal bodies, our mansions as such. But let's have a slightly closer look at the text a minute. At the very start, we're told that Jesus didn't want to go because he knew that people wanted to kill him. All the way through the chapter, we read that people wanted to do Jesus harm. But we also read that they couldn't because it wasn't now his time. It must have been quite stark for Jesus because after this, the next time he went to Jerusalem would be the Passover where he was going to be arrested about five months later. Just to give you an idea of timing, um, the Feast of Tabernacles this year is in sort of like the second or third week of October. So Jesus would have been aware that the following Easter was the time that he was going to be arrested. But all the way through the chapter, when we read about people wanting to do him harm, people wanting to seek him out, people wanting to arrest him, even the temple guards could not do so because it was not his time yet. Yet despite knowing this, Jesus does not court danger. He doesn't put himself in harm's way for the sake of it. We also see for a wee bit that Jesus does actually care about what other people think. And I don't mean enough that he would change who he is. But it obviously has become a consideration as to what he will do. His brothers don't believe him. They're going to tease him. They're going to taunt him. And some people say, how could people have grown up with Jesus not believe him? And actually said, because they've grown up with Jesus. They've spent their entire lives with their older brother always being the good one, the perfect one, this, that and the other. And it would appear that his other brothers didn't take too kindly to this. Amongst them would have been James and Judas, who, or Jude, as we would call him, who wrote two of the last letters in our New Testament. But at this time, they didn't believe him. Some have said that they weren't only tormenting Jesus. They'd become aware of the kind of following he was gathering and they thought, well, if we get him to come up with us, we can all be part of it. We can all be part of the glory. But Jesus says he's not going. They talked to him in terms of world things. I'm not going. It's not my time yet. It's not my time to reveal myself, which given that a couple of weeks later, when it actually hits the Feast of Tabernacles, he then goes up. Raises the question about was Jesus being deceptive? And I would argue, no, he wasn't. 
Those phrases where he says, it is not my time yet, are important. He knew that he had to reveal himself. But when his heavenly father said, now is the time for you to reveal yourself. Now is the time for you to show yourself. Because I also wonder, how was it that when he went up to Jerusalem, that nobody recognised him? There he is at one of the great festivals of uh, of Israel, when many, many Jews would have been there, and nobody managed to recognise him or spot him in the crowd. You know, just a few weeks earlier, he'd been feeding 5,000 men and their wives and their children and so on. This was the same man that had gone to the pool of Siloam and raised, managed to give this man his ability to walk again. But nobody recognised him. There's a little bit of me just from a human side thinks, I wonder what it was like for Jesus to be able to walk amongst the crowds and hear what they were actually saying and what they were actually doing without having their attention. There's a wee bit of me sometimes thinks, I wonder if that's because that's what Jesus desired to do. Because he wants to come and live with us. He wants to come and be with us. And it is right that we worship him. It's right that we praise him. It's right that he is on the throne and we are not. And we bow down at his feet. But what is amazing is he also came to be one of us so that we could become like him. He wants to be with us in our living room and in our car. He wants to be with us as we go shopping and when we're spending time with friends and family. And I wonder if he just enjoyed two or three days of being around people, doing what people do. Without everything having to be stopped by people coming to him for this and the other. But I know that's speculation. But I hope you understand where I'm coming from. Because here we have Jesus living out what it means to be tabernacled. He is God divine in human flesh. And so as we continue to read the passage, we see that there are those that see this man. Not much to look at, but they just see a normal man who seems to be doing good things and saying nice things. And so they're quite happy with that. And then you've got the others who are saying, yeah, yeah, but he he comes from Galilee. We know who he is. We know where he's from. He's no one special. And they're looking at the signs and they're judging by appearances. They're judging by what they think they know. And that's really important. They judge by what they think they know. You and I know that Jesus came from Bethlehem. We know that he was descended from David. We know that he fulfilled so many of the biblical prophecies. And it's worth how many people in their judgment of Jesus will also use scripture and say, oh, we know because the scriptures say this or the scriptures say that. And that wasn't Jesus. Because of what they think they know. As we know, even the devil used scripture to try and argue with God. Used it incorrectly. And quite often people use scripture to try gain power and authority. There is a wee warning on this. When Jesus is talking to the crowds, excuse me a moment. On the wrong page. And he starts teaching and they say, how can this man teach the way he does? He's not from any known school. He's not been to school. How does he know this? And he makes the point that he's able to speak because he knows God. He knows his heavenly father. And in many ways, he in this passage, by the end of it, there is no denying that he's declaring himself to be God. And we'll come to this at the end. 
But he uses this phrase. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth and there is nothing false about him. And then he refers back to Moses. Jesus is saying, if our desire is to seek the truth, we will find the truth. If our desire is to seek God, if we're desiring to seek to glorify God, then we will see past the appearance of who Jesus appeared to be and we will see who Jesus for who he is. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. This is a verse that I take quite closely to my heart. And I hope it's one that you do as well. I mentioned that throughout the passage, quite often people take what they think they know about Jesus and they end up in some sort of argument or discussion. And I'm kind of hoping it's been a while, but there are occasions you'll know yourself that you've seen two people arguing about what the Bible does or doesn't mean. And they start throwing scripture at each other. They start sometimes almost aggressively quoting passages and they'll, ah, oh, this is out of context, that's out of context. And what they're doing is they're trying to use the Bible to gain the upper hand on the other person. There are times when someone's going through a difficult period in their lives and others sometimes callously start quoting scripture at them to try and tell them what they should be doing to put it right. And you have to wonder, what is your motivation? Why did you take it upon yourself to go and speak to that person in such a way? Is they, are they not going through enough difficulty as it is? And sometimes, again, it's someone trying to take authority and control. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. The Bible is the word of God. But it's not to be thrown around at each other like some sort of butter knife, some sort of weapon, some sort of tool to gain power over one another. And I have to remind myself, there's two things here. The first thing is, when I preach, I have to make sure I'm seeking the wisdom of God. I'm seeking to glorify God and not myself. Otherwise, what you're going to hear is cleverness on my part. Oh, Lionel knows a lot. Lionel can do this. Lionel can do that. And it's not about me. It's about what is the Lord saying or doing. Sometimes if I finish writing a sermon and I'm quite pleased with myself, well, you, can, you can almost guarantee that that will be the naff sermon. That will be the sermon that was rubbish. I thank the Lord that he has used me and I thank the Lord he speaks to you too. I gave my first sermon uh, over 30 years ago. And as I look back on all the different times I've preached and all the times I've stood up in front of a church and all the times I've gone and spoken the word of God to somebody. There are times I look back on now with some embarrassment because there are times I got it wrong. There are times that my understanding of the scriptures was maybe quite shallow. I was looking as a math teacher would do to work out the blacks and whites. I was almost treating it like a formula. I was putting things like, well, the Bible says this, therefore that's what it means. And I'm grateful that over the years that the Lord hasn't given up on me and has continued to bring me into people's lives in a way that I learn and I still pick up and I still teach and I still learn from others. But ultimately it has to be about seeking to glorify God. 
but I can never control how people hear what I say. And that's what Jesus is also saying here. He says, there are people that listen to the Lord and they don't realise it because at this point they didn't recognise Jesus was God. With a critical heart, they're looking for something wrong. They're looking for something they can criticise. They're looking for something they can disagree with. There are those that take everything as a personal attack on them. But at the same point, just because I've said it doesn't mean that it come from God. In all things, we are to seek the Lord. If we seek after the Lord and we seek his truth, we will find him. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether the teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. This is Jesus speaking. If you seek the Lord, then the truth of his word will become evident to you. And those bits of passage, those things that people say that kind of jar, you think there's something not right here. There's not some, there's something that doesn't quite work out. Seek after the Lord and it will become clearer. I thank the Lord that we have his word. And I know that many of us study the word every day and it is a joy. But even now, I always feel like I'm just scratching the surface. But there's no denying that when the Lord reveals himself to us, it's always a joy and a pleasure to know. It's a shame that you hear in this passage. One of the things we come across is that many of the people didn't speak what they felt and believed about Jesus because they were scared of what the leaders might say or do. As a church, we need to always, our hope is that it's a safe place to get things wrong. Because quite often when people think they've got something wrong, they've actually got it right. And it's others that need to listen. When people are living in fear of the leaders, when they've taken such authority and such control that people are scared to speak, then we can be assured that it's no longer an act of God. It's no longer the authority of God. These are people, again, who are protecting their own authority. And we see this, that what prompted the Pharisees is they heard the people starting to whisper amongst themselves that maybe, just maybe, Jesus is the Messiah. And their first reaction was to have him arrested. They wanted to get rid of this threat to their power and to their authority. They didn't understand when Jesus said, I'm with you for only a short time and I'm going to the one who sent me because they're still thinking in worldly terms. They're still thinking in terms of here and now. And Jesus is desperate for them to see past that, to see that which is eternal, to see that which comes from God. Even amongst themselves, they didn't know as much as they thought they did because they said, have any of us believed? Well, actually, yes, one of them had. Nicodemus. Nicodemus believed. But they were so busy and so clouded by their own ambitions, by their own politics, that they were even unaware that amongst themselves, there were those who believed. They went to scent that he could be arrested. And as the people were listening to him, as the, the temple guards listened, they said, no one's ever spoken like this before. And they couldn't bring themselves to arrest him. It was not Jesus' time yet. I'm preparing the study for Daniel on Wednesday. 
And a large part of it is how often Jesus gives times to things that are going to happen, that have happened, that will happen. But it's always in his time. Jesus, who came as the one not wanting to be attacked or killed, Jesus, who came humbly, Jesus, who just stood up to speak. Who's not acting with the power and authority that someone as Jesus could do. Does not appear to be a powerful and authoritative person. And yet has all the power and authority because they could not arrest him. They could not do him any harm. They could not come and attack him. But let us think on what Jesus says. It comes to the end of the feast. The Feast of Tabernacles is a seven day feast. And so on the eighth day, on that last day, there are many, many ceremonies that happen. And we'll talk about some of those at another time. But Jesus stands up and says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Anyone. But whoever, not just some, but whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And John clarifies for us that by this he meant his Holy Spirit, that those who believed in him were later to receive. Because the Holy Spirit hadn't been given at that time because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Jesus calls us to see past appearances, to see past what things might look like to see past and to see deeper and to see him to move from that which is temporary to that which is just for today and to see that which is eternal to seek his glory the last couple of weeks we considered jesus as the bread of life today we begin to consider let all who are thirsty Come to me and drink. As he said to the woman of the well, just ask and I will give you living water. Her past did not matter. Her genealogy did not matter. Her family did not matter. Her reputation did not matter. For whoever believes, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. The Holy Spirit does not just come and dwell within us, but works in us and through us and flows through us to change not only us, but the world around us.